Welcome in. Penn State spring camp is over. The blue-white weekend, blue-white game on Saturday, punctuating a 15-practice session period. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue, joined as always by Sean Fitz. We got a lot to get into. It was a big recruiting platform on Saturday, as always. A couple new Nittany Lions commits. We got a long look at some potential new contributors on the football field for Penn State, too. So, Sean, Saturday was beautiful. As we record this on Monday, not so much in Happy Valley, uh, but good weather and some good insight in certain stretches uh, on this 2019 Nittany Lions team as they wrapped up spring camp. It was a beautiful day, and if you had blue, minus 16 and a half, congratulations, you covered blue wins 24-2-7. I appreciate the branding from Penn State football there. Thanks for that. Uh, but no, it was, a, it was a good experience, and by that I mean they got it over with. You know, no notable injuries that we really saw, and they ran that clock as quickly as they could, which I know some people had a problem with. But hey, that's what you're there for. You're you're there to get a little work. You're there to have a fun time. Everything. And by the way, thanks for those that stopped by at the 24/7 Alliance 24/7 tailgate. We had a great time. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was a great day to get in and out. We saw some nice things. We saw no injuries. We saw some guys getting comfortable, which is the big thing, and we really got our first look at uh, the January enrollees. Yeah, and um, you know, for the most part, they were on that Team White, which was comprised of essentially the early enrollees, uh, you know, some other unproven uh, freshmen, a bunch of walk-on players, and they put up a good fight, good showing. Um, uh, you know, And I think Brandon Smith was the leading tackler on Team White. But in terms of, of the freshmen, obviously, the name that really emerged and taking the headlines, you know, I put together a headline on him for our site on Lines 24-7 on Saturday after the game, was Noah Kane. Um, obviously considered no higher than third on the pecking order right now, coming out of spring camp on the running back depth chart viewing journey Brown and Ricky Slade uh, as the, as the you know guys who are leading that race to replace Miles Sanders, though it certainly looks like it could be a, a sharing the load situation, but Noah goes out there, Sean, and no surprise to see him get a bunch of touches on team white um, ends up with, with eight carries for, for 41 yards before halftime. Then ends up on, on team blue. Uh, he scores a touchdown for both teams. And he's the guy I think, you know, that a lot of folks who maybe weren't as engaged in recruiting and he had quite, Quite the recruiting process did Noah Kane. You know, he came over and, and put himself in, in the spotlight in his first appearance at Beaver Stadium and did well for himself. Well, what did we say when we when he came in from IMG Academy? He was well prepared to sort of jump right into things more so than a typical high schooler would be, and he looked that on Saturday. I uh, looked confident. He he was decisive. I think that's what James Franklin said after after the game. He was decisive. He put his foot in the ground and got forward, ran between the tackles well, scored a couple of touchdowns. That he benefited from some poor tackling at times, but still, uh, this is this is exactly what you want to see from this guy. And I think uh, really made a statement to get in there in the fall. Um, you know, Jay Juan Sider said a couple of weeks ago he's going to play. It's just a matter of how much he can he can grasp and get in there. Thought Ricky Slade uh, looked good on Saturday in the limited amount that he did, more so in his pr- pass protection than than actually carrying the ball and got a couple of catches, I believe, as well. No journey or a, a very limited dose of journey Brown on Saturday, but Kane really made the most of his opportunity. Um, we will see what comes of that, but I think uh, he looked the part. He looked like he belonged. Yeah, three carries for for Slade, three carries for Brown. You mentioned Slade getting involved in the passing game. He had three catches for 20 yards there. Uh, Noah Kane also had a couple catches. Uh, The second was an eight-yard touchdown reception from Sean Clifford late in the game, Um, and that was one that required him to to work his way through some traffic down the sideline, made a nifty move there. I think he, you know, obviously drew some oohs and ahs from the crowd getting to the end zone. And then the two-yard plunge in the first half, you know, was was his first uh, trip to the end zone. And I think with Kane and this backfield as a whole, 
Uh, we heard it from Journey Brown last week, Sean. Um, he said he thinks it's really going to be a situation where uh, you should get more comfortable with the idea that this is going to be a, a group effort in the backfield. You know, he, he doesn't seem to veer towards the, the thinking that it's going to be one guy getting 80 to 90 percent of touches out of there. And I think everything we've heard, you know, lends credence to that. Now, the the wild card here is does someone go out in the season, ball out, and just make it a, 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 a no-brainer where he's got to get the majority of touches. That is obviously a possibility. Any of these running backs could be that guy and, and end up emerging as a star and a primary back. But I think right now you really like uh, what you've got back there, and this is exactly what you hope for when you do all this great recruiting at the running back position. These are the situations you want where a guy who looks really strong still doesn't need to, to get rushed to the field. There are situations, there are other programs where a Noah Kane is going to be very quickly a centerpiece of the offensive attack. And J. Juan Sider said the most important progression for Noah Kane through his first three months on campus was forgetting about the three and out NFL ambitions, uh, forgetting about starting right now. It was going day by day, following the example, doing his own thing as well, uh, creating his reputation in that locker room. And I thought Sean Clifford said it best. He said Noah Kane showed up to campus and told everybody he was going to be the kind of guy who works his ass off. I'm quoting Sean there. Uh, and then, you know, so far, so good. He's backed that up. And I think he's someone who's really quickly, you know, gaining a lot of respect in that locker room. Though, as we said, don't read too much into everything you see in the spring game. Certainly not the stats, but I think there's no doubt about it. Noah Kane uh, comes out of spring camp as a guy who's put himself in a spot to see action in September. Well, he ran a lot like Miles Sanders on, on Saturday, and I think that's, you know, putting his head down and getting a couple of extra yards. I mean, it, the, the holes weren't always there. Now, credit the white offensive line. They played probably better than they should have, especially, uh, you know, run blocking against that first team defensive line, which was probably a, a low light for Penn State uh, if you're taking taking things away from the game. I think James Franklin mentioned that afterward, that they didn't stop the run as well as they wanted to. But Noah Kane did a nice job gathering himself, finding the holes, uh, you know, bounced it outside once or twice. But for the most part, ran between the tackles, um, did some nice things in there. And I think when we get to August, when we get to, to preseason camp, and we even in that first month of the season, you're going to hear a lot about going with the hot hand. And, and Kane is going to have that opportunity to get to string some carries together where he can put his best foot forward for that, that role. Sean and I just broke down a little bit about what we saw from Noah Kane and what the future may lie ahead for him. Uh, James Franklin did a nice job of that too in his post-game press conference. I thought Noah, Noah Kane did some nice things today. I thought, we're going to watch the tape, and probably sometimes he rushed his cut and things like that, but what he did is he was decisive. He stuck his foot in the ground. He got downhill. A lot of times his runs aren't overly sexy, but he's just breaking tackles and falling forward. Um, that is very productive. You know, so I, I haven't seen the stats. I don't know what he, you know, 41 yards, 5.1 yard average. Um, you know, pretty good. And, and he did a lot of that with the second O-line against the 1-D. So I, I, I thought that probably was, was, was impressive. So there you go. A lot like what, what Sean and I were just saying, a very uh, deliberate ap- approach for Noah Kane gets the job done. And that's been his rushing style since he landed on the national recruiting radar, you know, as an underclassman down in the state of Texas and keeping the focus on that 2019 recruiting class, Sean, another guy who, who generated some buzz this spring further along than, than the staff expected based on what coach Franklin told us uh, is Brenton strange. And, and I think that translated well into Beaver stadium on Saturday. Yeah. He surprised some people uh, led the white team with three catches for 19 yards. And I thought he looked good doing it. I, you know, I still think there's a distinct gap between 
uh, Pat Fryermuth and Nick Bowers at tight end and, and all the other guys, but really expected Zach Kuntz to, to maybe establish himself a little bit more on Saturday. Of course, uh, Strange was the guy that came out, and he was he was out there quite a bit. So uh, I think 3-for-19 is the official stat, but I think he actually had a couple more catches because some other guys got credit for them. But um, it, it was he was a guy that you just seemed to keep turning around. He was open in the flat, did some nice things. So Strange was a guy that looked good. Uh, conversely, I think Anthony Wiggins' first uh, attempt at a college uh, at, at this level um, could have gone better. Uh, I thought he did fine as a run blocker, but as a pass blocker, he, he showed he needed some work. Uh, Jason Owe uh, kind of dusted him a couple of times. Owe looked pretty good off the edge, uh, by the way. But uh, Wigan was a guy that I think uh, as he gets stronger, as he gets more confident, I think they'll be okay there, but it's just a matter of him finding his role in this team. James Franklin said last week they're going to try and play three tackles. Is he that third tackle? I, I don't know. Des Holmes looked, uh, looked pretty decent on Saturday. So Wiggins, a guy I, I think is kind of an incomplete grade on right now because you're not sure what he's going to look like come August, but uh, he was another guy that turned heads. And, and defensively, you already mentioned Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon completely looked the part of, uh, of what we thought they were going to be. They were flying around. They were doing some nice things. A little bit of work to do on some angles, but they've got guys ahead of them on the depth chart, so they'll have time to learn. like to see those two young guys flying around. Yeah, Lance Dixon with that blue team, he was the only early enrollee on the blue squad until Noah Kane made a switch later in the contest. And um, I thought he, you know, looked pretty well composed out there. That's a lot to ask him, you know. And and he was out there, you know, uh, getting some second team reps, looked like, uh, with Cam Brown off the field. And, you know, he's a guy that, that, you know, progressing pretty well here early on campus. And, you know, Brandon Smith got a chance to essentially be at the centerpiece of a defensive group, um, you know, with that, with that white squad. So both of those guys showing out we've talked about this before though it speaks to the strength of the linebacker group right now uh, where you can go too deep and yeah maybe Lance Dixon involved but you don't need to you got Jesse Lucetta right there as a sophomore guy who's making strides um, you've got uh, Ellis Brooks you know we saw plenty of him in action as well so it's an interesting group and and but to see Lance Dixon you know in that spot on that team, I think that's a, a pretty strong indication of, of where this coaching staff is viewing him uh, through his first few months on campus. Yeah, he's a guy that can can really cause some havoc off the edge, as we saw on Saturday. I mean, he's not a not a natural pass rusher by any means, but he's just so fast and and really twitchy. He can get off the edge and get to the quarterback. I think he had a sack and had a hand in another sack. Um, as well so you know he's getting every opportunity to do so they need somebody there to step up behind cam brown at the sam uh dixon's kind of been battling with charlie catcher all uh, all spring but they seem confident in what he can do and i think dixon fits that athletic profile where he's going to be a guy that plays special teams anyway so they're going to push him up as high as he can go and as you mentioned he's the only early enrollee that was on the january uh excuse me that was on the blue team that came in in january so uh it was good to see that uh, one last guy that I want to make note of, Tyler Rudolph. Uh, you know, Johnny Patrician wasn't in there on, on Saturday playing, so Rudolph got some added snaps, and I thought he did well. He was physical. He came up. Uh, you know, he came in a little bit skinnier than, uh, you know, I think people some people expected. But, you know, he as he continues to grow, they've, they've, they've got something back there at safety where he can not make an impact this year, but, you know, it can eventually be one of those guys. So I was very pleased with what I saw from Tyler Rudolph on Saturday. I thought he did a good job track, tracking the ball and, 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 and uh, you know, really just being a guy who was physical and aggressive out there. I think that's one thing you definitely want to see from some of these players who should be in high school getting ready for prom right now. You know, they're on Be- they're in Beaver Stadium in front of 60,000 people. It's good to see them aggressive and also 
within a containment. It's not like he was, you know, a guy, Tyler Rudolph is a perfect example, aggressive, but also getting the job done. Not, not where you're working yourselves out of plays while you're trying to do too much. Um, and I, by the way, we can note Keaton Ellis, Marquise Wilson heard a lot about them in the spring, no doubt about, uh, you know, their impact and then their, their strong start. And I think Keaton Ellis is another guy who was brought up yesterday, uh, during the post game press conference, uh, very much sounds like, like he's a guy who's going to have every opportunity this summer, to, to earn a role in that defensive backfield. And so you like how things are progressing, you know, in a, in a spot where you've had, you have veterans at the top, but as we've said, you're an injury away uh, or, or lackluster uh, play away uh, from really needing someone else to step up. And maybe Keaton Ellis is that guy. Um, we did have a lot of players to watch in this game, Sean, um, beyond the names that we just mentioned, some of the younger players, a lot of them were of the second year player variety and we'll go position by position. Cause this is the way we did it heading into the game. We'll start at quarterback. Back. We mentioned Will Levis as being a guy to watch. I made it my MVP prediction. And by the way, Mark Brennan reminds me there's no spring game MVP, but we had some fun and, and that was my pick. I thought he'd get a lot uh, more opportunities to pass the ball, quite frankly. Did throw a nice pass on probably the most notable play of the game because of how it ended. Uh, but Will Levis, so he's he's the guy who's either going to be uh, the number three, it seems, if, if Stevens and, and Clifford are both healthy. And as long as Stevens is sidelines, he's going to be the next guy up off the bench. You guys didn't hear the best part of the podcast last week when I put Tyler on the spot about the uh, the MVP for the game, and we didn't have it written down in the rundown or anything. He's, he just said Will Levis off the top of his head, and we stopped recording. And two seconds later, he just he just put his head down and says, "I hate my pick." Um, but uh, I don't no, hate Levis Will. Okay. I hated the pick. Yeah. <laughs> Levis Levis did okay. I, he showed pretty much exactly what we thought we were going to see with him. He's got a big arm. He's he tried to force it in there a couple of times. Needs to work on the accuracy a little bit. Big, strong guy, athletic kid. I thought he moved around fairly well back there. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a long way to go for him, and I do think that that's a, a clear-cut one-two and then a gap and then number three, although Levis did show some promise for the future. Uh, Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson both got back there, got their first college experience. Not a ton to take away from there. Um, you know, both need to get stronger, both need to, to get used to playing against a, a college defense, but that'll come in, in due time. And I will note, no turnovers for any of these quarterbacks. And when you've got a couple of those quarterbacks on campus for three months, I think that's worth noting. Um, I, again, I don't think Roberson or, or Johnson went out there and, and made anybody like, you know, say this is the future of the franchise, but you know, it, it was good to see them out there. And I think there was a, a, a low snap that Johnson had to deal with and he handled that situation pretty well. So I would say everybody, you know, that's good when you don't see a bunch of turnovers and fumbles and all that. We just spent a lot of time on the running back that we noted Noah Kane guy was obviously going to push for playing time as a freshman. I think we can probably move past that one uh wide receiver remind me who that was sean that would be game mvp regardless of what everyone else says dan chisena uh the best moment of the day by far um i mean showed some legitimate speed getting deep um i'm not sure how much that was set up but uh 59 yard touchdown pass from levis to chisena great ball by levis really good catch by chisena and all of a sudden he gets awarded a full scholarship which is really just one of the coolest things that you can possibly see so um but but, but from a football standpoint i mean the kid looks like he belongs and and we talked to we talked about him a bunch this spring um he's a speed guy i don't know what else he can do but uh, ricky ronnie was talking a little bit after the game about how you know it was 
uh, potentially more impressive. He ran that out route uh, just before the touchdown um, where he, he got a nice little gain there. But uh, it's uh, it, w- it was cool to see as a moment. It was also cool to see you know Penn State with their numbers at receiver, with the, uh, the lack of depth that they have there and waiting on grad transfers and freshmen and everything like that to arrive. To see a guy like that sort of take the reins and go with it was, was pretty cool. And, and it didn't hurt that I had him picked as, as, a, as my pick for the Blue-White MVP. You you nailed it, and hey, the pass came from Levis, so it was very very impressive connection for those two. Uh, but and I will say, I mean, regardless of, of of what happens with the football stuff, that's a moment uh, for Dan and his family that that you could just never ever ever possibly duplicate. Have a tough time topping that one as James Franklin's voice comes over blaring in, in Beaver Stadium that he's on scholarship and the that you know the team surrounds him and swarms him. Very cool moment. And, and, and the broadcast <laughs> the broadcast kind of missed it, and and that's unfortunate because it was just kind of uh, overshadowed and then all of a sudden he's getting mobbed you couldn't hear Franklin or anything like that so if you weren't there you, you probably didn't catch what uh, what what really went on but it was uh, it was a cool scene and by the way on the broadcast let's keep up the good vibes Matt Millen got a really nice standing ovation from the crowd at Beaver Stadium coming back and you know, I think he had heart transplant surgery right around Christmas so that's not a very long stretch um, so you know, a couple feel-good moments there uh, football aside um, moving on to tight end a guy that we mentioned Zach Koontz one catch six yards I believe in this contest um, you know and, and Bowers had himself a nice afternoon a couple really strong catches 50 plus receiving yards we know what Pat Fryer moves about not surprised we didn't see a ton of him um, uh, but I think, you know, Zach Koontz, he's got the opportunity here, uh, you know, to assert himself as that next man. You know, Nick Bowers has unfortunately dealt with some issues staying on the field. Um, but those two are solidly your top two. And I think, you know, Zach Koontz probably feeling like, uh, you know, Brenton Strange is pushing him as well. So nothing out of this told me that Zach Koontz is ready to be unleashed as this 6-7 dominant force that, that we maybe think he can be down the line. Um, he's a bigger guy than he was this time last year. He's more nuanced than he was last year. Um, we saw him come up with some nice plays against first-team defensive players last season during the scout team uh, efforts, but you know, I, I would still say um, he's got strides to make, and, and I wouldn't necessarily count on him you know, coming out of the spring as being you know, someone who's going to be a staple of this offense offense I think he's he's a nice luxury to have uh, a young emerging tight end as your number three guy on the depth chart yeah I think there's two tiers there clearly and and I continue to like what I see out of Nick Bowers uh, he made a couple of really good catches on Saturday and I think he's really going to help in the run game as well so um, you know Zach Koontz is what he is at this point he's a developing prospect he's he's obviously needs to put on some size uh, needs to be confident catching the ball as well, but he and Stranger are, are kind of locked in for a battle there. Did not see John Holland all spring, so you can uh, take what you want out of that. So, um, but yeah, I think there's there's two very distinct tiers in, at tight end right now, and I think the two guys that are in there in that top tier are really really good, and the two guys below them still have some work to do. And how far has this tight end position come? Last spring, Danny Dalton, I think, may have led the team in uh, in receiving. Uh, we knew about Holland and Bowers being there. What would there be avail- availability be? And then you had the, the 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 young freshman tight ends and Pat Frymuth and Zach Koontz. It's been flipped on its head now, and you've you've got a really good situation at tight end in 2019. I think we we, we both agree on that. Uh, looking over to the offensive line, you're, you're going to be working with a couple new starters: left tackle, right guard, and just as important here potentially long term is who that third tackle is going to be. You addressed that earlier, speaking about Anthony Wigan, Des Holmes. Des Holmes is the guy we pointed to 
And, and I'll tell you what, I, I think he put together, based on what we were able to see in flashes this spring, he looks like he's progressing just as you'd expect. And I think the, the comfort level has to be building if you need to use this kid in the game. Well, I flipped on the tape today, and, and honestly, it's more fun the second time around. So I encourage everyone to do that. Um, but Des Holmes was a pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, he, he he's still leaning a little bit. He still shows some of the uh, the tendencies of a young player, but he more than held his own. And of course, he had a tough matchup with Yitor uh, Gross Matos. So um, I thought he did well. I thought there was promise there. And if he slides into that third tackle spot, I, you know, wouldn't be a tremendous surprise. Now, a lot of that depends on Anthony Wiggins' development and his work. His, his excuse me, his. Uh, work in the weight room, how he handles himself this offseason. But I think Des Holmes showed some nice things, and I think he showed that he belongs. So uh, excited to see what comes of that. Rasheed Walker in front of him. Uh, you can see the talent come out with Rasheed Walker. You, of course, need a little bit more of a consistent effort. You need a little bit more consistency up front from him. So um, I, I think he's the starter right now, but I also think that that, that it might be an interesting follow uh, because <laughs> Rasheed Walker is going to make some mistakes as a freshman tackle. They all do. It wouldn't be a surprise whatsoever, but uh, you know he'll have Holmes in there to, to, to sort of you know push him for that spot in the fall. And, and then, of course, on the opposite side, I thought uh, Will Fries looked okay. Uh, looked, he, he looked better than he looked last year, no doubt about it. And, and I, if I'm taking anything away from that uh, offensive line, which uh, I don't think that you can take too much because there's obviously still room to improve, but I thought Michael Mennett played well. Um, you know, he, he sort of established himself as a center. We weren't sure going into the spring if they may move him back to guard and try and get Mike Miranda or Juice Scruggs in there as a, as a center. Obviously, Scruggs is out, but uh, it's uh, it was a pleasant showing by Mennett on Saturday. Sure, and then C.J. Thorpe uh, handling duties at, at right guard on Saturday. And, and, and I think when you look at Walker, we talked about this, every rep is important for him, just keep piling them up. And he got a lot of them on Saturday. And um, so I, I think, you know, it's going to be crucial to, to get – you don't need stellar, you don't need all-American left tackle play. I think we all believe that is something that could lie in Rasheed Walker's future at, at Penn State. This year you just need quality, consistent offensive line play. And that's a lot to ask out of a redshirt freshman – but that's really where you need to start with Rashid Walker, and, and that's the next phase of his development, in my opinion. On the other side of the trenches, uh, another redshirt freshman who has drawn a lot of attention this offseason. We've talked about him at length, Jason Awe. Now, this is a guy that, I, I tell you what, in the postgame interviews, players are not holding back. And we've heard a lot of, of superlatives tossed around about Jason Awe during his recruitment and since he's gotten to campus. Um, P.J. Mustaver said, he is unblockable when, when he is playing uh, the, the football he's capable of playing. He said there's no one out there that is unblockable like Jason. And then Itor Grossmato says when Jason is having his best day of practice, he is among the best players on the Penn State football team. This is a kid, again, didn't pick up football, uh, didn't sink his teeth into it until his junior year of high school. Uh, that was 2016. So we're not talking about a guy who's been, been playing football for a long time, much less somebody who's dealing with the intricacies and, and technique uh, that, that Sean Spencer is going to demand from that position group. And he's and you can see him trying to embrace things. I was watching him against the run a little bit, and he's he's obviously behind. He's, he's trying to pick some things up. But it's uh, it's apparent when he comes off the edge that he's going to be tough. His biggest impact this year is, I think, when they go down to that uh, three-down set where they move Gross Matos inside and they put Shaka Tony on the other side and they bring in they can bring in Jason Oway to come off the edge. That's where he's going to have his biggest impact. I mean, he's it, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a guy that's used a lot like Aaron Mabin was used as a redshirt freshman. He's not a three-down guy. I don't think he's close to being a three-down guy right now. But when you can bring him down on third down or bring him in on third down 
spell somebody, gets uh, get one of those tackles out of there, maybe do some creative things with the with the pass rush. He can give some guys some uh, some fits coming off the edge. I mean, just he was explosive. He I mean, he's big. I mean, he's not he's not like Maven. Maven was 215 pounds at that point. Uh, always what 250 or something right now. So um, he's big. He 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 looks the part. He's been uh, he's been impressing in practice. But you're not sure how that can go. I think he's still a situational guy right there. But he's as explosive off the edge as anybody. Uh, Shaka Tony included. So I'm uh, excited to see what this entire defensive line can do. And I think that those other guys can benefit from from having somebody like that because if you're a situational pass rusher, if you're a, a guy that's just on tape coming after, if you come into the game, it's going to demand some respect on one side. So that they shade some. Pass protection that way they bring the running back over there and all of a sudden a guy like Tony or Gross Matos maybe has a little bit more room than they expect so excited to see what kind of dynamic he can bring to it again I think uh, Gross Matos and and Tony are entrenched uh, as the guys that are going to be there but when you can get a situational guy like that and you've got a guy like Adisa Isaac uh, filling that role behind him as well um, you've got an opportunity to have a special defensive end group and I think we kind of saw what Jason uh, what James Franklin was talking about with these guys uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning Isaac because I was going to go that route next. He he had himself, you know, what seemed to be a, a, a good spring, a, a good introduction uh, to this coaching staff, and 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 then he had a sack on Saturday in the blue white game. And I think you're right. I don't think a lot of college football programs are in a position to get after the quarterback, especially in in obvious passing downs as well as Penn State. The proof is in in the statistics. Obviously, the amount of stacks they've racked up during recent seasons, but this group in particular, uh, you're continuing to see why James Franklin referred to it as you know the best defensive group and group uh, potentially that he's been around uh, during two dozen years uh, you know of coaching uh, so we'll find out a lot more but I think if Jason we- uh, Jason Oway does make the leap that he appears capable of making uh, for one to me it may be a year ahead of schedule when I thought it was going to be and it would really take this group to another level so we'll see where it goes from here uh, yet another red sh- or, no, I'm sorry yet another second year player a guy who did not red shirt last year uh, Jesse Lucetta played primarily on special teams uh, from game one on I did see some action last year w- was working in at Mike linebacker we've seen him you know uh, behind Micah Parsons now on the depth chart for the most part uh, he got a lot of play on Saturday and he's a guy that I think has come across as a confident player that uh, we knew about the the innate leadership uh, qualities that he has. He's he's a, a, a fond a guys are fond of him in the locker room. But I think what's really starting to show up is is his body has completely transformed since he got to campus in the in the 15 16 months. And to me, he looks very capable. Whether it's uh, you know, I don't think he needs an injury to get on the field this year. I think he will be a part of this defensive group. I think they're going to find ways to fit him in schemes. We know Jan Johnson isn't going to be on the field. Um, you know, three downs every single defensive series. And we got to learn more about Jesse Lucetta as far as his range goes on the field. But I do think this is a guy who's going to be worked in. Um, and, and just like, uh, you know, Ellis Brooks, those are the two uh, guys who've been around for a little bit, along with Lance Dixon and Brandon Smith. I think those four are guys behind the starters here that you could really see find different paths to the playing field. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Jesse is he need rep, he needs reps. Um, it's not uh, it's not about the talent. It's not about uh, you know how comfortable he's going to be, but it's it, it's more about seeing the game in front of him and, and going with that. I didn't see enough from Jesse on Saturday to to evaluate his performance. I haven't looked at the linebackers all that closely, but he's got the ability to do so. I think the biggest thing holding him back is hey that number eleven's right there in front of him, and he's a pretty good one. So um, curious to see what he can do. I think uh, you know he's going to be a core special teamer this year. He's going to be a guy that continues to come along and, and develop um, but uh, reps might be a little bit hard to come by and that's exactly what he needs right now 
But man, depth important in every position. You need three linebackers out there. You got some guys with versatility, so I think you feel good about what you've got going on too deep and even a little bit beyond there right now at linebacker. Uh, in terms of talent, again, experience, expanded reps. We don't know exactly how that would shake out if guys are thrown thrown into the fire more. Uh, but I think you really like at what you got option wise beyond your starters uh, in the defensive backfield. We pointed to two true freshmen because we've heard a lot about them this spring from receivers, from quarterbacks, from other defensive players, from James Franklin. Uh, it's Marquise, uh, Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis, two of the uh, 11 scholarship freshmen who enrolled on campus back in January. Uh, Ellis, the local kid, Marquise Wilson, kind of a strange high school rec- recruitment only because uh, I should say high school career because he didn't play his final year. It was a situation where he was essentially out of eligibility, had bounced around a couple of schools. Um, so two guys that came in with a lot different understanding in terms of fans, but two guys that appear they could be in the mix to get that green light. I think specifically uh, Keaton Ellis, I think there's a really strong possibility he's going to play more than four football games this fall because of what he can also bring to special teams. Yeah, they talked about him as a potential contributor right away and that maybe not a starter or anything like that, but this is a guy they put back for kicks and punts on Saturday so he can make an impact in the special teams game. We saw that during his high school career, but yeah, I mean, I think he can step in there and play as a freshman. We didn't see Marquise Wilson, at least that I noted um, on Saturday, so uh, sort of holding back on what to expect from him, but he obviously had a pretty good spring based on the, I think he was the, the, the team leader in turnovers. So uh, it was good to see uh, the, 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 you know, it's good to see James Franklin talk about those guys because the corner is a spot where after next year, you've got some questions with John Reed leaving. Does Tariq Castro Fields test the waters? And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that room is a good room to be in right now. Uh, it's good to see that they've got uh, some guys establish themselves as early enrollees. Uh, the last two that we highlighted were coaches. Um, really not much, Not sure how much you can take out of seeing Joe Lorig, uh, his special teams units, kicking against air on Saturday. But uh, Gerard, yeah, Jared Parker, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was unfortunate because they came out right away. Penn State dropped two balls. I think one was uh, to Pat Fryermuse, so it wasn't completely on his wide receivers. But there are still drops there. There are still things to work through. We'll see what kind of things happen with that. Uh, they also made a couple of tough catches, uh, or, or good catches at least, in, in uh, later in the game. But uh, just had to chuckle when you saw the, the the first, I think it was K.J. Hamler that dropped that first pass. Justin Shorter had one thrown a little bit behind him. He dropped it. Jahan Dotson you know, had a potential touchdown that he's got to come down with. So they're, they're working through those issues. I don't know if it's too soon to start the fire Parker threat on our board, but I'm sure it'll, it'll come soon enough. Yeah, it was obviously not ideal for this team to come out, and and they had three drops in the first six pass attempts, and and obviously that was a consistent theme uh, to the 2018 season that held them back. And and you mentioned it, though – that was not all on the wide receivers. In fact, one was on your freshman All-American, uh, you know, arguably the centerpiece of this passing game in terms of targets uh, is, is Pat Fryermuth. So uh, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to evaluate uh, this group. And, and I will say one thing again, got a chance to speak with Jahan Dotson after the game. Um, first time had a chance to speak with him really since he got to campus. So had a lot to catch up on. But again, he, he feels like it's a in completely different wide receiver room this year. And he didn't want to throw any shade uh, toward Corley, but he says it, it just really feels like a, a different group. Yeah, and he says it's a positive thing. Um, but let's face it, this is a wide receiver group that's going to look a lot different in a couple months. You got a couple transfers coming in who have already played four years of college football, Weston Carr, George Campbell. We'll get to the wide receiver spot in a bit. You got a couple freshmen coming in as well. Uh, so hard to assess that group, even harder in a spring game, that Sean, though, to uh, 
to try to take away much on special teams. Well, trying to take away anything really is <laughs> is kind of fruitless right now. But yeah, you're right. Um, can't can't really throw Parker under the bus just yet. I'm he'll get there. Don't worry. Um, but uh, to check back in on spring storylines, we're going to rapid fire these pretty quick. The quarterback battle thought that was interesting because uh, James Franklin kind of established afterward. I, th- I think he kind of mentioned that Tommy's still his guy, but uh, Sean Clifford did some nice things, liked to see some of his touch passes, uh, probably uh, you know should have had another touchdown as well. So um, I, where are we on that one? I mean, it's just it's kind of funny because, you know, Tommy couldn't do anything. And until Tommy does something, you're not going to name a starter. I mean, James Franklin came out after the game and said, yeah, I can't do that just yet. There's still a competition because we don't have the guy that's probably going to win. And I'm completely paraphrasing here using my words as his. Probably the guy that's going to win wasn't available for the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, it's it, that's where we're at right now. We're going to talk about a quarterback controversy all summer. Some people will. I, I still see Tommy as the guy, but uh, Clifford held his own in, in that uh, situation. Let's let's just avoid anyone having to paraphrase and go right to what James Franklin said on this subject when asked about the starting quarterback and whether he was comfortable and ready to name one after this game. Now, obviously, we want to be able to name the starter as soon as we possibly can, but but you know we're not ready to do that right now. It's going to need to be you know more of a true competition. Um, Tommy's done everything right. You know, for for four years, there is a huge body of work in what we've seen from him. And I think last year, in a lot of ways, wasn't fair to him because he was playing with an injury, a pretty significant injury. So, um, you know, our coaching staff has got all the belief in the world in Tommy. Um, Our coaching staff um, understands kind of what Tommy has done and who he can be. Uh, But we also have belief in the other guys. I think we've we've created really good, um, you know, competition in our quarterback room. And I don't think he really could have said much more in this situation. I mean, you said it. Tommy Stevens has put himself in a position to be this team's starting quarterback for everything except for being on the field for all the physical reps. We've heard a lot about the mental reps. We know that his body of work with this program is long. He's got four-plus years in this locker room. He's been with Ronnie that entire time. He's been with Franklin that entire time. He had nine total touchdowns two years ago. He's a guy who's really built up a resume here, but – there is the fact, Sean, that he missed all of last year's spring camp. We just don't quite know how much of this spring camp he was involved in. He missed most of last year's training camp. He missed most of September. He missed the Citrus Bowl. And I think the assumption here is that he missed the lead-up to the Citrus Bowl and all that entails there, which is a lot of reps lost. And meanwhile, Sean Clifford hasn't you know, been asked to sit down during this entire process. He's been elevated to second-team status and then this spring first-team status. And so the reps are piling up, but... The whole thing with this conversation about a quarterback competition that that's kind of tough to take on in general, even though you hear from Stevens and more so from Clifford that it is viewed as two guys pushing each other and they'll they're more than happily happy to bring in Levis and Roberson and Johnson into that conversation, but it's these two guys. Um, and as long as we hear Sean Clifford calling it a competition and, and, and going about his business and talking about What's more, most important is whoever does become quarterback in August 31st is ready to lead this team. You know, that's where the conversation is going to keep going. And, and the later it gets here, you know, as you approach August, if we still don't have an answer, and I don't know, you know, that we will, um, you know, it's, it's tough to evaluate. But how can you evaluate and how can it be a true competition, as Franklin said, until you have two guys who are truly involved on the football field going through the same exact drills 
dealing with the same kind of situations, being tasked with, with, with things on the field. You know, you want to see those two guys going through, you know, one after the other, you know, and, and really get a chance to, to stack them up against each other. And you just can't do that right now. So that's where I think the, the key thing to look at there is Franklin saying that this is going to require more of a true competition. I thought he handled it well. You don't want to discourage Sean Clifford, who is certainly feeling like he's coming off a, a strong spring. He probably, you know, pleased with his performance on Saturday. Didn't dazzle, didn't disappoint, but he's not the starting quarterback. And and he certainly, you know, you don't want it, Tom. You don't want to. It, it's you can't name Tommy Stevens a starting quarterback right now because he's not healthy, and that's what it comes down to. What do you want him to say? I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I mean he, he said exactly what he needed to say in that situation. To you know, you, you keep Tommy around and you keep Tommy's confidence high, and at the same time, you recognize that he didn't have any reps this spring, so that might be a hindrance on his uh, ability to to step in and and win the job outright. Uh, on the other hand, Clifford got those reps, did fairly well with those reps, but uh, you know he's not the guy that's going to come in and snatch that job away. So I mean, it's a, it's really a, a kind of a no-win situation. I mean, we saw a couple of things written this week that was like, oh, you're you're backtracking. You, you said, I think it was signing day's press conference. He said Tommy was number one, Clifford's number two, Levis number three. But that, that's so different than coming out and say this is guy, this guy's going to be our guy. This guy's going to be the starter um, because he was talking. He was asked about uh, the opportunity in spring that these guys would have so he kind of slotted them one two three four and then all of a sudden you know you're taking that as a as a backtrack I mean come on that's that's not what we're doing here I mean we're talking about a guy that didn't get reps and he shouldn't be named starter yet even though he probably will be eventually named starter there's there's a reason behind all this yeah Franklin said at the at the introductory uh or no with the signing day yeah signing day that that he wasn't uh you know, wasn't prepared uh, to name a starting quarterback, but then said, you know, Tommy Stevens will be first in line, then it will be Clifford, then it'll be Levis, and then so on. Um, and that's what we heard. Now, now, nothing surprising there. And by the way, on Saturday afternoon, before this uh, Blue Weight game actually started, it was Tommy Stevens leading this quarterback uh, group through drills. He was moving around the field. He was throwing the football. You know, he looked like he was essentially getting ready to play in the blue-white game, even though that would have been extremely surprising. And then Sean Clifford was taking the reps directly behind them. Uh, but look, uh, I think the key here is if Tommy Stevens was recovering from a, let's say he had surgery last year after the regular season, and that was the only situation he had that he faced in 2018 if he was able to be the the number two quarterback throughout the season if he was able to be that lion role and and produce as a receiver and rusher maybe at times during the season um if he was in spring camp last year if he was coming off a season uh that he was involved and productive and you're number two and and there wasn't anything but he got hurt and then he needed surgery after the year i think that there would be a situation here where franklin would maybe feel more comfortable in saying you know Tommy's on track to be back. When he's back, he's our starter. But the fact is, it's now, you know, what, a, a year and a half since we saw him out there, um, you know, doing his thing, you know, in 2017. And, and, and now, you know, I think there is just something to be said that as a coach of a team who gets paid a lot of money to make these kind of decisions, you know, you have to be you know, proceed with caution and you have to proceed uh, making sure both of these guys are on the same page with you and with your staff and now you're moving forward, but you can't, you know, throw caution to the wind and, and go out and make a declarative statement right now 
based on what you have in front of you on the table. And I think that's just the way it is. And, you know, it's going to require, you know, uh, extreme supervision. And unfortunately, we in the media will not be you know, privy to the process that takes place a lot in the next few months. Um, but until we hear who the starting quarterback is, there's going to be conversation around Tommy Stevens and Sean Clifford. And let's face it, these guys are in different situations. You know, Clifford is a redshirt sophomore. Tommy Stevens has one year of college eligibility left. He wants to play in the NFL uh, he wants to play college football as a starting quarterback. So they face d- very different realities in 2019, and I think that's just another layer to the, all this that really has a lot of people scratching their heads and trying to make sense of things. But again, I, I don't think Franklin could have shed any further light on the situation because I just don't think that light is available at this point. Well, we're talking about protecting Tommy Stevens, and I think that's what everybody says that, that Franklin's doing right now. But if he goes the other way, I mean, you're talking about protecting Sean Clifford. He wants this job to be, uh, you know, quote unquote, open as long as it possibly can be for the, uh, the competition aspect of everything. So um, I, I, I see exactly why he did the things he did. I, I don't think it's anything to get up in arms about. I still think Tommy Stevens is going to be the guy eventually. But you want to leave that open as long as you can and, and, and get the best out of these uh, both of these guys because going one way, going the other way, really not fair to either one of those right now so so I guess he's he's hitting it right down the middle and trying to trying to make sure everything goes uh, goes his way well something tells me this topic will, will pop up in conversation on the podcast in the next few months and, and another yeah, ba- banging <laughs> out these storylines uh, very quickly is also just uh, we're doing a horrible job at it it's oh, yeah. a few minutes in the quarterback battle running backs probably not as uh, you know not as difficult to, to see what's going on there I think you got Slade Brown and then and then Kane made an impact and made his case so I think it's fairly clear cut that we're going to see them ride, ride that hot hand and be the you know go go with whoever's getting you those touchdowns yeah, and, and then, you know, wide receiver spot. Uh, we're looking for the third guy to step up. Justin Shorter clearly has every opportunity to do that. He got one catch, a few different targets in that blue-white game. I still think, you know, he hasn't clamped things down in terms of what we've seen. Daniel George is going to be pushing. You've got these veterans and freshmen coming in uh, this offseason. And, and to me, the wide receiver room, it's always been the toughest to evaluate in the spring because it's an incomplete product, and, and it's just going to look completely different when this team returns to the field in August. Yes, he, what are you trying to find six guys there? You've got Hamler and Dotson. You know those guys. Shorter, I think, is probably the third guy at this point. George has pushed him as well. What do you get from Cam Sullivan Brown? What do you get from Hippenhammer? And then, of course, the two grad—excuse me—the two grad transfers and the two true freshmen. Dan Chisena is in there as well. Isaac Lutz probably not quite in there for the fall, but he you know he did some nice things this spring and got a, a scholarship that's worth mentioning. But you've got bodies there. You just need to find out what that rotation is going to be. And I'm curious to see. That's probably the, the thing I'm most curious to see out of this uh, receiver unit is the rotations that they get. You saw with Joe Moorhead, they like to stick with three receivers unless they run one deep and then they'll flush somebody else in there. But uh, for the most part, it was just uh, those three guys. Ricky Ronnie opened it up a little bit, got some more guys in there. I think that was kind of out of necessity when you're talking drops and inconsistency. So we're, we're going to see which way that goes with with Jared Parker's input in there. I think you find six guys, you find a, a reliable two deep, you figure out what uh, Weston Carr and George Campbell can bring to you because I, I think we've talked about that before. It can be varying degrees of, of, of effectiveness there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, find six guys and go with it. And I think they've got the, the capable bodies to do so. Yeah, and again, with a new quarterback and, and just, you know, the, after the year they had, I still think this is the position group that's going to enter this summer, you know, in the biggest spotlight in terms of may, me, needing to make a leap in productivity. They've got a new coach. They've got a bunch of new faces. It's all right there for them. Uh, on the offensive line, uh, there's, you know, went in the spring – 
indicating those left tackle, right guard spots up for grabs. I think you come out of spring feeling pretty confident that Rasheed Walker is the guy at left tackle. Again, Franklin didn't declare anybody a starter at any of these spots we're talking about, but it's very apparent based on his usage, the reps he's getting. Uh, Rasheed Walker is going to have a chance to be that guy. Right guard, I think that's one that goes all the way through August, maybe into September, where you're seeing uh, both Miranda and Thorpe get, get action. Unfortunately, we didn't see Mike Moran on Saturdays. He got kind of banged up at the end of camp. And I think this one goes into August, uh, regardless of whether or not he finishes the spring healthy. So um, Thorpe showed some nice things on Saturday. He's physical. He brings a little bit something to the running game that maybe we, we weren't used to last year. Um, he's, he's, just, he's not tentative at all. I mean, that's, that's always been the thing with C.J. Thorpe. He's always you know, full bore into whatever he does. Sometimes it gets him you know, personal foul penalties, and you'll have that. But uh, uh, interested to see where that battle goes. I, I agree with you. I think Walker's pretty well entrenched as the left tackle, but uh, interested to see how that guard play shakes out. And we're going to see both of those guys. We've been saying that all spring. Sean, whenever we talk about C.J. Thorpe and that's something extra, my mind flashes to the clip that you tweeted out from the Pittsburgh game. Uh, I think a lot of people retweeted. It was just him taking somebody to the woodshed oh, as a run blocker. That, yeah, yeah, he destroyed And then that. Uh, it's just crazy to think uh, three weeks later he was playing defensive tackle against Ohio State. So, that, that, you know, it was a wild season for him. Well, they went back to the tape, uh, you know, when they switched him back, and obviously that was the plan all along, but when they went back to the tape, they saw, saw just how dominant he was in the running game, and he's still coming along as a pass blocker, so that's going to be something that, you know, he needs to work on if he does win that uh, that starting spot, but uh, just showed how dominant he was in the run game, and that's something that's that's an aggressiveness that they need out there. Uh, switching over, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at where Penn State was at defensive tackle. Um, talking about those uh, those tiers again, yeah, I like that first tier of, of Robert Windsor, Antonio Shelton, and PJ Mustafer. Uh, I think that Shelton probably showed out the most on Saturday. Not sure what you can take much from that, but uh, he did a nice job. And then Damian Barber was a guy that really turned my head, and we've been talking a lot about him this spring. If he can slide in there and be that fourth guy, and I know Fred Hansard is back, and it was great to see him out there. He looked like a guy that was coming off of injury, but he still looks like a guy that can go right now. And then Judge Culpepper as well. Um, I really like what I saw about Barber. He's active. You know, he's he's in that Givens mold where he was the, the former defensive end that's really athletic and moved down, and now he's very athletic for a defensive tackle. So uh, intrigued to see what he can bring to the table. I still think it's going to be mostly those three, and they'll, they'll rotate those guys through. But if you can get something out of Barber this season, I think that's probably a little bit ahead of schedule, and it's a pleasant surprise to see what he did on Saturday. Yeah, you're not going to confuse Barber or, or Culpepper for defensive ends anymore. They look the part. And, and, you know, I mentioned this to you in the press box uh you know really it's good to see Fred Hansard out there and, and playing the way he was uh you know just being on the field because when you talk about someone who suffers a mid-season injury and they're ruled out for the year right after it as Fred was last year you just really don't know how that's going to impact the spring camp um and yeah, there he was on the field in action uh so I think Fred's probably maybe ahead of, of where we thought um i wasn't privy to his medical information it's not something we're going to get access to but you know i seen fred in a boot down in orlando you, you just didn't know because you know spring camp was two and a half months away or whatever so i think that's important for the defensive tackle group and and then safety is another spot where you're looking for a new starter just like defensive tackle um lamont wade getting a lot of run this spring uh at jonathan sutherland actually receiving uh an award for his special teams uh efforts this spring uh during the game and he's the other name that's mentioned there and then the the name that has always loomed large and coming out of spring we talked about where would things be Jaquan Brisker is coming to town soon and 
I still think he has a shot here, Sean. Yeah, I still think so. I, I think it was a good, productive spring for guys like Wade and Sutherland, but are they far enough along to to distance themselves from Brisker, who's going to come in in May? I don't know that they're there yet. Thought, uh, you know, I watched some of the game this morning. I don't think anybody jumped out to me in terms of Wade or Sutherland as guys that are, you know, a step behind everyone else. And I think they tried to get Garrett Taylor off the field fairly soon so that they could see what they have out there. Sutherland, I think, still plays a little bit faster, a little more instinctual back there. Um, but Lamont Wade has done some nice things, and they've they've done some different things with him. They've moved him around. They they have him playing that star role. They have him, you know, as a potential nickel corner. So he gives you uh, a bunch of options in the in the coverage game. So uh, still don't think we're, we're close to seeing a resolution to that spot, but I think Lamont Wade, you know, put, probably put his foot forward to be the number one guy heading into spring. But again, I think that's one that goes in uh, on to August. Yeah, plenty of position battles. Uh, we'll work their way into the next few months. We'll keep addressing them here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. And, of course, there are future Nittany Lions uh, making big decisions across the country, and a couple of them uh, were in Beaver Stadium and committed to Penn State just on Saturday. Uh, Sean, first and foremost, it was a different s- setting than it was uh, last spring game when there was official visits involved, um, and it just felt like a, a more grand showcase. But this year actually produced more commitments than last year. Well, it was one of those things. I mean, there was, what, 60-some spring games this year, um, so everybody had a visitor list that was kind of watered down. Uh, Ohio State had a nice one. Michigan's wasn't all that impressive, um, and some of the others, the, uh, some of the other ones in the region, you know, you could just tell the talent was kind of dispersing themselves other than finding one main event and going to it. Um, so that, that was a little bit different this year. The numbers, of course, were down at Penn State you know, of terms of guys that were offered, and Penn State did not host official visits. We got into that on the podcast uh, last week um, for those of you that checked that out. So um, not a tremendous surprise that the numbers were down. I think there was a little bit more action than everybody expected. R.J. Adams was a guy that we were watching very closely heading into uh, into the weekend. He ended up popping, uh, giving Penn State to, uh, an interior offensive lineman in this class. So it's our second interior offensive lineman along with Golden Achumba. Um, apologies there. Um, but uh, you've got R.J. Adams that came on board before the game. And then I think the, the unexpected one, and I think the big one here, Cole Brevard from Indianapolis uh, area, He's a guy that uh, Penn State targeted very, very early. They've done a nice job recruiting him, got him back to campus a few times. And this is a guy that they expected to come in for an official visit in late June. He wanted to check out Wisconsin and a couple of other schools on official visits in June. And they thought he could pop then. All of a sudden, he turns around after the game. Hey, this is a good one for Penn State because he's a a four-star kid at a position that is incredibly tough to recruit as defensive tackle. Very good frame at 6'2 right around 3'10 right now. And he's a guy that uh, you don't want to say can contribute early, but he's a talented guy and a big body that can move up there. Yeah, this is not a, a case of uh, let's get him to campus and get him bigger and, and see where he's at a year from now and maybe he'll be ready to play defensive tackle. This kid's coming in with the size. You know, saw the photo that, that Mark Brennan, I believe, took of him yesterday, uh, on Saturday and and – Kids well put together for, for you know you, three you see three hundred plus pounds for a high school junior somehow you wonder what sometimes you wonder what that's going to look like and he seems to carry that weight well and and, and a really nice addition here I think they've got a, a nice thing going defensive tackle recruiting I know that's been a, a point of contention concern for for some of our uh, audience members in the past but I think you know they've got a nice run here Devon Ellie's I think there's a lot of potential upside there um, from from year one on we think they've got a really good one in PJ Mustafer who's on. Second 
second year at campus. And then, you know, Cole Brevard is a heck of a way to start your defensive line class. And, and going back to that offensive line group, you've got three guys in that class. I think we, we both expect it to be a, a relatively large offensive line class. And so all of a sudden you look up, you know, April 14th, um, you've got eight commitments and last year on April 14th, you had two commitments and you were actually on a six month drought in terms of commitments. So again, class construction coming along nicely. And as a result of these two commitments, Sean Penn state surges up the two, four, seven sports composite class rankings now sitting at number seven. Uh, so right there in the top 10, all of a sudden, it's a nice boost. And to be in that conversation is somewhere you obviously always want to be. And uh, adding Adams, I think, is, is probably an underrated pickup. He's probably a center at the next level. Now, Penn State cross-trains all their guys, all their interior guys, and they they have them snap as centers and guards and things like that. But I think Achumba's more of a guard. Grant Tuntan's more of a tackle. And uh, uh, Adams is a center. So we'll see what they get from that. Of course, Woodbridge, um, home of Am- Antoine Sampa, the five-star linebacker. He did not make the trip over the weekend. Um, but uh, it, which which is unfortunate for Penn State, but still uh, to get Adams to get Brevard, I think the the over under that I had in my head for a commitment last week uh, was probably one or maybe even a half because uh, Adams sort of maybe had a little bit of cold feet and then he came came around and did it. Um, so productive weekend for Penn State. They had a bunch of guys on campus as well: Theo Johnson, Amin Vanover, defensive end from from New Jersey, and Cam Large, who's a jumbo athlete from from New England. So. Uh, to get those guys on there, to take another step, to get Brevard, I think is the biggest thing to take out of this weekend. To get Brevard on on board, I think is huge for them. Yeah, and four four star commitments on the defensive side of the football right now. You got a couple All American linebackers right now. You got you got a four star defensive tackle. So you like what how things are shaping up in the front seven. And and another offer, Sean, on Saturday goes out in state. And we've talked about it a lot. Twenty twenty one in Pennsylvania, that class, guys who are going into their junior seasons next fall. I think seven offers now, uh, the latest going out to Elijah Judy, an edge rusher out of Philadelphia. And I think that's very notable. You think, well, yeah, they're offering Pennsylvania kids. It's Penn State. They've got, I think, you know, less offers than that out uh, to the high school juniors in the 2020 class. They had fewer offers than that out last cycle to the 2019 class. So you got to go back to 2018, a three-cycle span where they were this aggressive in the home state. And it's still very early in, in assembling that offer list. Yeah, Pennsylvania, uh, we mentioned it last week, Pennsylvania could be back in 2021. A lot of talented kids in there. Uh, Judy is a kid that you saw at the Nike camp in Jersey, and we talked about him on the podcast potentially receiving an offer last week. So that came to fruition. He's an edge guy. Trained by Dion Dion Barnes at uh, Philadelphia Northeast, and uh, you know it's it, which is Barnes' uh, alma mater back in Philly. So uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's an opportunity for Penn State to sort of uh, build its base from within, and that's something that's been missing in the last couple of years. And, that, and I think that doesn't probably get talked about enough. I mean, Penn State's had a couple of really good classes they put back to back, but uh, when you talk about where they attack on the home front, there was really nothing to work with there, and that's not not uh, not a slight to some of those guys that they got, but really just wasn't. If you were looking to build a national class, this wasn't uh, this wasn't the the home base for it. So, if they can get that national, uh, excuse me, if they can get that national class in addition to a strong 2021 home base, I think you'll be all right in that cycle. Um, now, it's 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 one of those things where we're talking about the 2021 class. We talked about the 2020 class. Eight commitments right now, but it's kind of looking different than we had forecasted. 
Uh, it, it, Penn State, not a ton of buzz right now on the trail, even though they do have, uh, what, four times as many commits as they did at this time last year. So you're seeing guys visit all, elsewhere. You're seeing guys lean elsewhere. So they're going to have to do some uh, some recuperation work on that to get back to where they want to be this summer as they go into official visits. And I think that'll be that'll be an interesting storyline to follow for the next couple of months because there's, uh, you know, coming off that nine-win season, that, that shine of those back-to-back 11-win seasons, kind of wearing off a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that and where that uh, where the results come from in the next couple of months. Don't mind me while I pile on for just a second. A couple interesting developments on the recruiting trail during the weekend as well. We noted this last week, Julian Fleming making his official visit down to Alabama, one of the schools under his consideration. Um, as we said, he's going to explore his options before he comes to a choice here. And then Brian Brezzi, uh, number one prospect in 247 sports rankings for the 2020 class defensive lineman out of Damascus in Maryland will announce his decision on April 23rd and take a look at that crystal ball. There are a lot of Clemson Tiger picks, so things certainly seem to be heading towards the reigning national champions for Brezzi. I know those he- those hurt to hear, um, but you know, that's the reality of where things are at, Sean. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's uh, they've they've got a lot of work to do to recoup that uh, status, and and you know, you were talking about the the talent base in the area being uh, 2020 uh, being a top five, to, uh, you know, top five class potentially. Not sure that they're going to get there now, but the, these guys will come along. I mean, it's going to be it's a long cycle. We've seen uh, guys that develop, and we, we talk about a guy like Grant Tuton, who was you know, I think a mid to, mid to high three-star early. He's a four-star now. He can keep going up. He had another good showing this weekend at the uh, Under Armour camp uh, in Ohio. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you get your guys, you trust your evaluations, and you go from there. Um, a second offer that we forgot to throw out there, Caden Prather. And I think Penn State's in a good spot with him early. Tight with Dante Thornton, the the loan commitment in the 2021 class. Uh, he came up to camp last year, actually posted similar athletic numbers to Thornton. But uh, uh, Prather was a guy that was at DeMatha, kind of in that jam. It's it's funny, at a program like DeMatha, there's so many kids out there and there's so many studs. I mean, you're, you're talking about playing behind a guy like DeMarco Hellams, who is heading to uh, Alabama as a safety, playing behind him at wide receiver. Still had a pretty decent season. He's now at Northwest High School in Germantown, Maryland. So he's got an opportunity to show himself, uh, you know, to, to sort of take his game to a different level is funny. It's funny Damatha story that that I always go back to. I was talking to Cyrus Quanjo one time, and uh, we were talking about I think uh, Paul Harris was his name. He was a wide receiver. I think he ended up as a four star kid. Went to Tennessee. Um, he was on the same team as Quanjo, who just graduated. Quanjo didn't even know who he was. I mean, it's 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 such a talent laden uh, pool and a huge numbers thing that you're, you're not even sure who some of these guys are. So DeMatha, who's kind of, uh, Prather was kind of in that uh, machine right there. Elijah Brooks leaves to go to Maryland. Prather's going to play at Northwest, which has produced some pretty good players in the last couple of cycles as well. But uh, he's got an opportunity to sort of take his game. I think he's a highest three-star now. He's got four-star potential, ran a 4-5 for Penn State at camp last year. So this is an opportunity for Penn State to maybe pair somebody with Dante Thornton. And I know that's way, way in the future, but pair another uh, tall, athletic pass catcher with Dante Thornton. Yep, so 2021 offers going out there. We saw the 2019 recruiting class together at the Blue-White game saying hello to the Beaver Stadium crowd. Um, Not all of them 
were there, but just about every single member of that class, some in uniform, others uh, waiting to get to campus this summer. Um, among those, Devin Ford, we will have on our upcoming podcast uh, later this week. Remember, we are twice a week now, um, so you can look ahead to that one coming your way. Uh, Sean, anything else to add from uh, spring camp, spring weekend? I know we're, we're going to be talking about you know kind of the, the ramifications of, of the past month over the next few months uh, because this is the evidence we have in front of us on how this team is developing. But anything stand out in particular from the weekend that we didn't get to? I think there's one thing to, that's worth noticing, and we're not really sure how far along it is right now, but Penn State hosted Malik Barrow, a former Ohio State defensive tackle. He's had a lot of problems with injuries. He played, uh, you know, he had to, I guess, medically retire, and then he went into the transfer portal, similar to what uh, Torrance Brown's trying to do with Southern Miss. Um, so they had him on campus as a potential grad transfer over the weekend. Again, you're not sure what the, what that situation is going to be. Barrow has torn his ACL twice, in or once in each knee. Um, so you're not sure how healthy he is, uh, how much he can give you. But he's a guy that has two years left to play, potentially three. If he did want to petition the NCAA for, a, for an extra year, he'd probably be in line to get it based on that criteria. So uh, we'll see what comes to that. I just think it's really interesting. Penn State hosting a former Ohio State player who uh, – you know, did not really shine in his time there. Didn't have a chance to shine because of injury. So uh, it's just one of those things where this transfer portal has sort of uh, turned everything upside down. Now all of a sudden you're not sure where where a guy like Barrow fits in, but still, I mean, you got to take a look if you're Penn State. Uh, Another name on the radar for Penn State as they look to – Put the finishing product uh, together on the 2019 roster. As we said, you got a bunch of freshmen still coming to campus this summer. You've got at least two incoming grad transfers at the wide receiver spot, and that pursuit may not be done yet in terms of the transfer market. So keep close tabs on that on Lines 24-7. Of course, uh, aside from the podcast that we do, again, two days a week now, you can find all of our content. Me, Sean, Mark Brennan, our, our great Lions 24-7 recruiting team, including Steve Wiltfong and Brian Doan, all on Lions247.com. And and be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff wherever you find your favorite podcast. Uh, we got new gear. We mentioned this before. Hopefully the audio is coming through and reflecting that. And we'll continue to carry things forward here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. On behalf of Sean Fitz, we thank you for joining us for this latest episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll be back later in the week. Talk to you then.